The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. We had been going through and talking about end times, and we've been looking at a lot of this prophecy that is to come, you know, and kind of breaking it down um, theologically and what it could mean and what it's going to look like. And, and um, you know, when Tracy asked me to speak today, I thought, I, I, I thought about how I felt about some of those things that we hear, you know, maybe when you're not a believer and how they sound a little wacky, right? A little fantastic. And I remember uh, January 14th, 2010, the day that this guy, Tom, was sharing the gospel with me. I remember I said to him, do you really expect me to believe all that stuff? And he goes, what stuff? I go, all the stuff in the Bible. He's like, give me an example. I was like, I don't know, you know, but I'd heard that it was kind of crazy and kind of wild and, and I had never researched it. And so I thought this morning was we're looking forward to God's ultimate promises being fulfilled and, and end times and stuff. I thought, let's look at the prophecies that were foretold and fulfilled. See, because the reason that we in here believe those things that are to come is because we've already seen the promises that were and what was fulfilled. And so I thought it'd be really nice to, as we're getting into the holiday season here, to just talk about these things. And let me make sure my hotspots connected because I have to be able to link over to the, <clears throat> to the verses. Um, and uh, I'd love some participation if anybody wants to uh, get involved. That You know, I like that. So there's 44 of them. I probably won't touch all of them, um, but um, let's, let's jump into them. So the very first one is that the Messiah would be born of a woman right? And that was all the way back in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God's word foretold and uh, fulfilled in Matthew 1.20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Um, The next one is that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And that was out of Micah 5.2. But you... Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Uh, and that was fulfilled in Luke 2, 4, and six, 4 through 6. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, their their time came for the baby to be born. 
Do, do any of you guys do this every year at Christmas time? Do you go through it with your families and talk about the promises to be and what it looks like? We used, when I was little, even though I wasn't, you know, by any means saved, we, every year our, my grandmother expected us to go to the church service. And so we'd go, and so I'd hear the story every year, but I didn't know the importance of it, right? I didn't know the promises foretold and the fulfillment. And it, to me, it was a Christmas story, you know, and nothing more, myth, legend. Um, but the cool thing has been that when you start to study and you can see the historical evidence and the, um, you know, the, the versions of this that was written before the life of Jesus that has been preserved and passed down, you know, it's not like it was uh, all thrown together hundreds of years later. Uh, the next one, Messiah would be born of a virgin. In Isaiah, uh, uh, in Isaiah 7, we were told, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And we know that Emmanuel means God with us. Uh, and that was fulfilled in, my hyperlink didn't work there, in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. I like when they make it that clear, right? When the writers of the New Testament said, this is what was promised here in Isaiah 7, and here it is fulfilled. Makes it real easy. You don't have to do much more digging than that. So then there were, uh, there were several in a row of, um, you know, descendant of Isaac, descendant of Jacob, from the tribe of Judah. Um, uh, the Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. Back in Hosea 11, uh, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, some of these, you know, when they were written, I'm sure the people reading them were like, what does that mean? Uh, but we're told in Matthew 2 that that was fulfilled. It says he got up and took his child and mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Herod was killing all the, um, the infant males because his throne was threatened, and uh, they fled to Egypt to escape the persecution. Um, a messenger would prepare the way for Messiah. In Isaiah 40, <clears throat> a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare for the way, the, uh, excuse me, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and rugged places a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. <clears throat> and we know that is fulfilled in Luke 3 when we're talking about John the Baptist. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book, the words of Isaiah the prophet. And he goes and quotes what we just read. Uh, so imagine the scribes who'd been studying that and now they're seeing John the Baptist there doing exactly what was promised hundreds of years earlier, right? And it's sometimes when we're studying end times and some of these pro prophecies to come, it's real easy to get frustrated like, 
oh, it's so complicated. How do I know what that's supposed to mean? How much of this do I need to delve into and study? And how much of it do I need to understand for my walk with the Lord? Um, But I think there's a lot of solace in this, that we can look at the promises that came before and then were fulfilled. That Messiah would be a prophet. Excuse me. Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from amongst you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And in Acts 3, 20 through 22, uh, we were told and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For even Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything that he tells you. Messiah would be, would bring light to Galilee. In Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, uh, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In the New Testament, Matthew 2, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So did I jump to the wrong one? I did. Matthew 4. Too many hyperlinks. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Another one where they make it real easy, where it's a word-for-word quotation of the first passage I read. So, um, and then as we get into these, we're really getting into some of the the more meaty stuff, right? Some of them I skipped over, right, that that he would be a Nazarene, um, the, the descended from the lines of, um, but that, that Messiah would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. (laughs) He wants to come up here with me. Uh, And in Luke 4, we see um, a call back to that passage. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Promise fulfilled, promise fulfilled, promise fulfilled. Um, That he would be called a king, that he would be praised by little children, that he would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Um, And then we get into some of the stuff here, right? That he would be portrayed. Uh, There's a couple of passages that refer to that, but in Psalm 41... And again, imagine the person writing this, you know, not knowing what it was calling to, and the people reading it for decades afterwards, even centuries. And it says in Psalm 41, 9, it says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. And we know 
in Luke 22. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That the Messiah would be falsely accused. Psalm 35, 11. Ruthless witness, come forward. They question me on the things I know nothing about. And in Mark 14, 57. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him. And they said things like, well, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. All of these things that were repeatedly talked about in the Old Testament, they just come true one after the other, one after the other. Uh, that the Messiah would be silent before his accusers. He was oppressed in a, this is out of Isaiah 53. Uh, He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. All the the words are running together. Sorry. So again, and this is in Mark 15. Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer for yourself? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed that he would be spat upon and struck, that he was hated without cause. Let's look at that one, that he would be hated without cause. Psalm 35, 19. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. And then also um, Zechariah twelve ten. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as he grieves for a firstborn son. I jumped to the wrong passage there, didn't I? Let's see here. Uh, That he would be hated without cause. Sorry, guys, I jumped ahead to the next Um, so let's go back to Psalm 35, 19. Do not let those gloat over me, uh, who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those hate me without reasons, reason, maliciously wink the eye. And in John 15 is the fulfillment of that. If I had not done among them the works that no one else had done, uh, that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. And then the one I jumped forward to, obviously, was um, already getting into the crucifixion, right? And there's a lot to do with that. Um, And we study these a lot. I don't know how how deep we need to go into these, right? But um, prophecies foretold that he would be crucified with criminals, that he would be given vinegar to drink, that his hands and his feet would be pierced, that he would be mocked and ridiculed, um, that they would gamble for his garments, um, that his bones would not be broken. Um, and all of them, right, talked about in the Old Testament, and then we see the fulfillment in the New Testament. But let's talk about these last few here. Messiah would be forsaken by God. That's a big one, right? And that's what we'll close with in just a few minutes here, right? But 
In Psalm 22, a Psalm of David, at the very beginning of the chapter, he writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Matthew 27, 46, at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. I'm not going to try to read the Latin. (laughs) My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's just, you know, one after the other, one after the other. But we're getting to the real important stuff, right? So um, that he would, he would come back from the dead, that he would ascend to uh, heaven, that he would be seated at God's right hand. But let's talk about the big one together. Uh, and we'll close with this, right? That Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin. Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read 5 through 12, guys. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their inequities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he numbered with the trans and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And fulfill, uh, in Romans 5, we talk about that. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, you know, I, I didn't know this at the time when I was talking about how I came into this way of life and stuff, but... I believe now wholeheartedly that the entirety of Scripture is to show me who God is, right? Once I can start to see who He is, then I can examine who I am. See, I was doing it the other way around. It was always about who am I, and then everything else is going to have to fit into that. But once I started to see, once I started to study this for myself, and I started to see the promises and the, and the, and the prophecies fulfilled, um, the, the words that were written down hundreds of years earlier, and now we're seeing fulfillment. Once I started to see that, it, it was like it, it, it cracked the facade. It opened the floodgates. Because if this was true, it had to all be true. If there was evidence that this was true, I needed to look to see what it had to say. And what it really says, what all of it says, is that I'm in need of saving, right? 
It's the reason I felt the way I did. It's the reason I was doing the things. I was looking for something else to save me and nothing was working. Um, and it's, it's just beautifully summed up in those last few passages I read, right? Because if we see that a Messiah was promised to come and bury the, uh, carry the burden for us, then there's a way out. And it's, and it's so simple, but it's so heavy, right? But he carried it. So what I need to do is, and I think that's why we sound like uh, we're banging the same drum here at Cross Life sometimes over and over and over. We got to stay in the word. We got to stay in the word. We got to stay in the word. I don't know about you guys, but I can study through a book today. And then a few months from now, remember very little of what I studied through. So it's time to go look at it again. I can hear these prophecies and hear these promises that God wrote down and fulfilled and then forget them. Uh, And then sometimes I'll be reading the same one for the 20th, 30th time. And all of a sudden it hits me, right? The weight of it, God's spirit moves on me in that time. And so that's what we need to do. We need to call ourselves to deny the selfishness that says, I don't need to spend time. I don't need to go after that. And we need, to, we need to ask God to walk with us in this, to keep in his word, because he gave us written proof of who he is, a way to know him more, and through that, be able to do what it, what, what it is he wants for us, right? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful, so grateful for Christ coming into the world. I'm so grateful that well, for 30 years, I had no idea and not even willing to, to open my eyes or ears um, that you worked on me and that you eventually gave me the, the way to see, right? That it's about you and what you're doing rather than about me and what I want to do. So I ask that you help me and I ask that you help my brothers and sisters here just lay it down come after you with full abandonment. Pursue you as the greatest love of our lives. Pursue the truth uh, that is written in your word so that we know what it is you want for us and, and we're, we're better equipped to walk that out. I want to ask that you be with all of us as we go out from here back to our you know, December, Sunday afternoon, holiday season, friends and family, football games, whatever it is that's going on. Speak to us, God. Help us to remember the weight of who you are and what you've done. Help it to be the predominant thing in our lives, the paramount thing in our lives that dictates everything else we do. Walk with us, guide us, lead us in the name of Jesus. Amen.